Welcome back to episode three of But You Don't Look Sick. Today I want to talk about caregivers and how important caregivers are, and I don't feel like they get the recognition that they deserve. Um, at least in a cancer patient's mind, a caregiver is so important. Chris was my caregiver, whether he liked it or not, that's the position that he was put into. So I feel like it's better to get his insight on all of the things cancer related and my diagnosis throughout the last year. Chris, if you know Chris, he is not a very emotional person or he doesn't like to talk about emotion. Um, he's very private. He doesn't do social media. So to get him to come on the podcast is definitely pulling him completely outside his comfort zone. Um, I thought the best way to get him to open up would be with a question and answer. So that's kind of what we're going to do. I have questions that I've wanted to ask Chris. Um, and there are questions that I've gotten throughout the last year directed towards Chris. So that is how we're going to conduct this podcast. So hello, Christopher. Thank you for joining me on this couch for this podcast. Hey, everyone. <laughs> so let's just go in with the first question. Did you do anything to prepare for my diagnosis? Yes and no. So I'm going to start with the no. And the biggest reason why I say no is because I was in denial. I was in denial because when the radiologist told us that he was 98% sure, we still didn't have the results from the biopsy. Even after the first biopsy, the results were inconclusive. So we had to wait for a second biopsy results. So in this whole process, you know, I'm holding out hope uh, with you being so young with the statistics saying that it's super rare for you to have breast cancer, I, I wasn't fully, I didn't really accept what was going on yet. But at the same time, yes, I, I obviously still, you know, did my research online, um, looked up a lot more about breast cancer. I, I learned a lot more than I ever knew before, uh, mainly statistics. And, and because of that research, I think I was even in more denial, and I was holding out hope even more than I already was. Um, so I didn't fully prep the way I should have, but I did do some basic education. Did you have any idea what becoming a caregiver actually entailed? I thought I did, and that's because my mom struggled with uh, rheumatoid arthritis growing up, and other ailments. And then she also developed breast cancer and went through breast cancer treatment. And then after that, she had ALS. So I've seen what it's like. Uh, my sister was a caregiver for her. I have seen my grandparents coming from an Italian family where uh, everyone kind of takes care of one another. My grandparents took care of my great grandparents. And I saw that growing up. And then my dad and my uncles take care of my grandparents now. So I've seen what it's like to be a caregiver, but nothing really prepares you for it until you actually have to go through it. Yeah. Last 12 years, we have had a routine and we have had a system. You being in the military has, you know, given us the sense of you do the military, I do the kid thing, and that's just how it goes. And it was going good. That was, that was our system. But getting diagnosed with breast cancer, obviously you had to 
jump in and do things that you never really had to do before just because you weren't here. So how did you tackle talking to the kids and caring for the kids and just completely switching roles as far as me and you go? So the first thing I started doing was just watching you and your routine. So seeing how you make the kids lunches, how you get them to school, what you do after school, everything that you do from sunup to sundown, I just started taking mental notes of everything. But then, honestly, you were still doing everything through the whole process, even through your first treatment and your second treatment. It really wasn't until the chemo really started kicking in and the side effects really started showing up that you you needed someone to really help out and step in. So we were fortunate enough to have you know your mom come out to really help during that time so that um, I could do the morning routine with the kids and I could still go to work. I was still kind of faking the funk. I was yeah. only missing that morning routine, but I was still able to work really hard and I'd come home, make dinner and do the kids stuff. But once we didn't have that help around, really, I, the next step was for me to tell my employer what was going on and, and having that honest conversation with them and laying out how your treatment is really going, the, the realistic expectations on what I can do at work and you know when I can't be at work. And so once I, I was honest with all of that, they completely supported me and freed me up to where I could be there for you. And that was crucial. And then on top of that, I even asked, I even went a step further and asked to be pulled out of my current leadership position and put in a, a less demanding position so that I had more flexibility and there wasn't as much on my, my shoulders for success or failure at work so that I could actually pull myself out a little easier. So once I was able to do that, I was kind of in the game. And I didn't try to change anything. I, I tried to keep, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I saw that you had a system that worked, and I just wanted to fall in on that and just try to keep everything going as smooth as possible. You just touched on work a lot and how so much had changed once I was diagnosed and once I was going through treatment. And I feel like for the last... 12 years that we've been together, but the last 14 years that you've been in the military, there was a plan. And that plan was to do 20 years and really finish your time with the military. And you had worked so hard to get to the position that you were at. And then breast cancer just kind of came in and derailed all of that. And we've had the conversation so many times about how we have no idea how anybody in a caregiving position could work a full-time job. We didn't have family near us and we didn't have very many friends at that point that could help us out or that we trusted to help us out with the kids or taking me to appointments or just caring for me at home. And so, you know, I we sit and talk about it all the time. We just don't know how people do this when they don't have a lot of help. I know that for me, it felt like cancer, fighting cancer was a full-time job, but then on the flip side, becoming a caregiver in itself can be a full-time job. And I know it became that for you since we had very little help and four children. So how did you handle that with work? 
So first, I was lucky enough to be in a career where, yeah, we'll work crazy hours and we'll sacrifice almost more than any other career fields when it comes to family and, and time with deployments and long work hours. But when someone's faced with something like this, you know, the army really rallies behind you and supports you 100% to you so that you can take care of your family. And there's no fear of getting fired or anything like that. But we're, we're such a, you get so used to this career mindset and being the guy at work and, and doing a good job that you re- I really had to realize that I'm not, I can't be that guy anymore, that my family needs me, and that no one's going to tell me how much to put in at work or when to pull back that I really needed to, to do, make that decision. So my mindset almost changed overnight to where right now supporting Kelsey and the kids and being there for you guys is the most important thing. So after you going through treatment for a couple months and we had a, the scare with them finding something on your liver and me being more involved and showing up to soccer games, doing things that I never did before, I realized that I changed along with this process and that I knew that I couldn't go back. I couldn't leave you for another deployment or go away for 30 days or 60 days, that I knew that life, I wanted life to change. I didn't want to go back to how life was before. Yeah, so is that when you kind of made the choice? I know that I remember you coming home at one point and just saying, I'm getting out of the army. Like that was just a definite, and I thought, you know, there, <laughs> there's no way. This is all we've been working for. This is, we've sacrificed so much to get to the point that where we are. But I remember that you came home and you were adamant. You were done. And I think you had called someone or told someone, like, I'm getting out of the army. Yeah, that was uh, around the time that we had the call about them finding something on your liver. And I just knew, like, my gut told me, like, hey, I need I need to make a change. Like, this needs to happen. So even after the liver scare, though, and, and that fear kind of went away, I still just knew that uh, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Going through this process, I know that everything is so focused on the patient and how the patient is doing because you are fighting cancer. Um, in the beginning, though, there were support groups offered for caregivers or, you know, there were pamphlets handed to you about caregiving and you are just not one to open up in a group setting. So I know for me, I always worried about, were you ever taking care of yourself during my treatment? So did you do anything to take care of yourself throughout my treatment? I probably know the answer to this, but I feel like you have such a good insight on what you did or didn't do. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I didn't do anything to take care of myself. And a lot of that was because, you know, inside, you know, I'm, I'm asking myself, like, how could I care for myself? Or how could I take time for myself when Kelsey's going through all this? And she's so strong and so positive And she's handling this, like, the last thing I thought I should be worrying about is myself. And then also, even though everyone was telling me that there's support groups and there's people to talk to, I'm an introvert 
I've never opened up to anyone. I probably still to this day struggle with opening up to even Kelsey, even after 11 years of marriage. So that's just something I've always struggled with. Now, I failed at that, and I would say to anyone else that I would have been a better caregiver if I did take the time and go see someone and and join a support group or talk to a professional. So, yeah, that would be the right thing to do. So with that being said, where did you find support throughout the last year? So you were probably my biggest support system just from seeing how positive you were through everything and upbeat and how strong you were. And, you know, up until you started treatment, everyone in our family would be telling me, Chris, like you need to be stronger than ever. Like Kelsey needs you. You need to keep everything together. But in reality, (laughs) I, I feel like I was the one falling apart and you were the one keeping everyone together. So just seeing you every day just positive and upbeat and just going about life like like you don't even have cancer. And then on top of that, the kids kept me going. So like the kids, you know, they, they kind of know what's going on, but they really don't. So like they're still smiling and cracking jokes and they keep you so busy that, you know, there's really no time to, to go to that dark place and, and get you know, too sad or too depressed. And so you and the kids were like the biggest thing that supported me and and got me through everything. Now, I didn't intentionally find support in other places, but I still kept up like I love running. So I still tried. And I think this really helped me deal with stress and and everything is like every morning I, I got up and I went on my run. And I feel like that was essential to clearing my head and just dealing with everything that was going on. Yeah. And then on top of that, because, you know, I made the decision that, hey, I'm getting out of the army. And I started reading books and listening to audiobooks and podcasts. And so that like continual education kind of filled the time in between like driving into work or late at night before I went to bed. So that helped keep me motivated and it kept me going. And I think that prevented me from going to that dark place. I think one of the hardest things, and it was very hard for me, was accepting help, but also asking for help. I know it's something that we really didn't do a whole lot of in the last year, and looking back on it, we realized that we pretty much just put our heads down and struggled through this. I have certain feelings about, you know, how somebody can offer help to a cancer patient, but how did you deal with people offering for help or how did you ask for help or even accept help? Yeah. Um, so I, I pretty much turned down all the help. Like there was, I was offered help every, every day that I went into work, everyone that I, that I knew and, and I would just always play it off. Like, no, we're fine. Everything's going great. And a lot of that's just because, you know, we're new, we were new to the area I didn't really have time to build relationships to where I really had that trust with anyone. Yeah. I'm naturally a really private person and I barely let in my own family into things. So, you know, for me to just have people that I looked at as strangers, even though they're not really strangers into 
to my life is just really hard for me to do. It's just something I'm not good at. Yeah. And so also, uh, when we did have help with family, I completely failed at communicating what help I needed from that person and what help I didn't want from that person. So, you know, sometimes family will come in and they'll want to help out with everything. And so, you know, I'm kind of the type of person where like, I kind of want my own space and and I want to do things sometimes like my way. And I never communicated that like, hey, I I want to do this and and that, but hey, I, I need help with this. And if I would have just communicated that, it would have been so much easier to to receive help. And instead, I, f- I feel like I stressed myself out more over everything because I didn't communicate and it was completely on me. It wasn't on anyone else that was offering the help. Yeah. And I, and I feel like we are, we've always just been, I mean, we got married very young and it was kind of like getting married so young. It was, we were just out to prove that we, we can do this on our own. We are adults. We don't need help from anybody. So we have, that's how we've gone about life is just not asking for help. And I also feel like, you know, people associate asking for help with a sign of weakness. And the one thing that we have learned is that it is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength to be able to ask and accept help, um, but also be able to know when you cannot do something on your own. Um, And I know you've told me that so many times is like, that is the sign of a great leader is knowing when to delegate things. And I think that's something that we struggled with so much over the last year. And looking back on it, there are so many areas we would have said, oh, we we really could have used help at this point. But instead, we just kind of were so hell-bent on getting through this on our own. For me, over the last year, I have faced so many challenges, whether that be physically or mentally. Breast cancer is not just a complete physical transformation. It is a mental one as well. And so I know that I've had so many situations that I have had to overcome. And I'm just wondering as a caregiver, what were some of the challenges that you faced? The biggest challenge that I faced was my mental state, uh, trying to keep it together, stay positive, stay supportive during, you know, a, a time that's really hard to, to stay positive and supportive. So trying to overcome that and find ways to deal with that anxiety and stress and worry was by far the the toughest thing that I've ever had to deal with. And, and at times I I felt like I was having a midlife crisis or or a nervous (laughs) breakdown. Um, And then on top of everything that's going on, you know, I made the decision to have a career change. So that kind of just added to the stress and anxiety. Going through breast cancer treatment in itself is an emotional roller coaster. I know that there were so many times that I was on the highest high um, throughout this ordeal. I feel like I've been, there's been points of manic happiness, but then there's also been points of just sheer depression. And I know that I'm constantly up and down one minute. I'm just so positive and I can't wait to look towards the future. But then the next minute I'm you know, hunched over in the kitchen, just telling you that I don't think I can do this anymore. And so I know for me, every day is an emotional struggle. And I've had so many setbacks to just keep pushing forward to keep staying positive. What were some of your emotional setbacks that you can think of within the last year? So 
I've had a lot too. Like I, I agree. Like I feel like it's been like a roller coaster ride of emotions, but I can think of three major setbacks that were just, it was really tough to go through. Uh, the first one was the, the liver scare when you got the call that they found something on your liver and they were really concerned that the breast cancer could have spread throughout your body. So that, that, that was just really, really tough time and, and hard to deal with. And then the next thing was after the, your mastectomy uh, and the doctors were super positive that the chemo did its job and kind of got rid of everything. And so we were under the mindset that the mastectomy was more of like a preventative at this point. But when we got the call that under the biopsy, the tissue still had residual disease and in the lymph nodes, it yeah. was... It was uh, you know, again, like I remember that being like another low, Yeah. you know, but we made it through that. And then, uh, I would say for right now it's, it's tough because, you know, you're receiving hormone therapy and the drugs that they have you on. I see how it has a, it takes a toll on your quality of life. And I see the, the effects from the drugs. And so, you know, that's hard to see it's hard for any loved one to see the person you care about most going through through that. Yeah. Throughout the last year, I have said to you so many times, like, I don't know how you do it, even though you look at me and say the same things. Like, I don't know how you are going through all that you're going through. But for me, I've told you and I've told anyone that I feel like I'm lucky to be in the position I'm in because I'm the one fighting. My my mind is always occupied on the fight. My mind is always occupied on overcoming the disease and just not letting it completely overtake me. So I, I've told you so many times, like I could never be in your position. I could never be in the position to having to watch somebody go through cancer treatment. I know what it feels like, but I know so many times you sitting on the edge of the bed or you trying to explain to the kids what's happening to me, I feel like you've been in the harder position. So what what does it actually feel like? And I know you can't describe this in just words, but just to give somebody who finds themselves in your position, what does it feel like to be a caregiver? So the first thing that comes to mind is just a feeling of being helpless. You know, I didn't go to med school. I'm, I'm not a doctor. So seeing you go through everything, it, it's hard when you just feel like that there's nothing you can do to fix it. And, and you know, there's even a lot that in the medical community they, they can't do. So that's, that's just the hardest part is realizing that, you know, you, you can't fix the situation. But on a more positive note, you know, being a caregiver, I feel like it's it's brought us closer. Yeah. Just me being there for you, and and I couldn't imagine not being there for you. And. I feel like it's it's brought like you said it's brought us closer. It's made us face situations, and it's made us talk about things that, you know maybe other couples just don't, they don't have to talk to in talk about in their marriage at first. Maybe it's a lot longer down the line. Are you talking about, you know, your will? Are you talking about 
life insurance? Are you talking about these things that can be so morbid, but you have to face them and then you overcome them? So for me, I feel like you being there and taking care of me in my darkest times, but also in some of the gross times, like, you know, the times where I'm, I can't make it to the bathroom and you have to help me out with those types of things. You had to bathe me. Um, you had to change my drains every couple hours. You had to do things that I don't think I would have ever let you do had we not been in this position and I wouldn't have been able to take care of myself. So I feel like for a caregiver, it's hard and it's emotional, but for the patient, I feel like I'm so much closer to you and you understand so much more about me going through this. Yeah. I feel like there just is not enough information out there for caregivers. I especially don't think there's enough information out there for caregivers at a young age. I know that there is tons of young survivor support, but I don't think there are enough caregivers that are being talked to, that are really getting recognized for what they're doing and giving advice. I think a lot of advice is um, more towards grieving where we didn't go through that process. We really didn't grieve. We just kind of, we hit the ground running. Everything moved so fast in the beginning that it was like, we need to come up with a plan. We need to take care of our children. That's the biggest priority. So we, you know, there wasn't all of these tips and advice or anything given to you about how to go about this. And anything you search for on the internet is just very vague. Um, and so what, what would you say to somebody are there tips or I don't I want to say tips because I don't think there's tips and tricks throughout this, but what's some advice having gone through this and still going through this, would you give someone who finds themselves in a caregiver position? So I'm going to be kind of a hypocrite by giving this advice because a lot of this stuff I didn't do well myself and it's stuff that I learned from failure. Uh, so the first thing, though, I'll, I'll say I, I think I did a decent job on, uh, and it's advocate for the patient um, when the patient's forced with a treatment decision. So you may go months into treatment, and the doctors may have a complete plan laid out, and there's no questions. You don't have to make a decision. But eventually, you may be forced with a decision where the doctors have two different options, and they're not telling you what the best option is. They're asking for you to do your homework over the weekend and to make a decision come Monday or Tuesday morning. And so at that point, I feel like that's where as a caregiver, you can provide like a lot of value and a lot of importance to the patient. Naturally, a patient is going to be very loyal and to their, their team, or you're super grateful for your team of doctors. And so sometimes you're just going to want to just jump at whatever decision that they provide. Yeah, well, I think a patient comes at it with such an emotional standpoint. And I feel like you always provided, you were able to separate emotion and science. And so you always came to appointments prepared to ask the tough questions, which is something that I needed, especially when you're talking about the situation that we were put in whether or not to join a clinical trial and whether or not to do surgery after my mastectomy when there was residual cancer in my lymph nodes, I automatically, um, I had one decision made up in my head 
just from talking with my doctors, like you said, I, I was taking their information and I was very grateful that they had guided me on this, on this road so far. And I just was emotionally driven to say, nope, uh, yep. If I don't have to do surgery, I don't want to do it. But you initially were so skeptical. And so you were the one who said, you know, no, I think we should maybe go a different route. And so you did all the research. Yeah. And, and with that being said, don't cross that line to where you think as a caregiver, you, you can make the best decision. Like it needs to be the patient's decision. I just realized that it's my job to just help right now, do some research and, and get all the facts out there so that the patient can make the best decision. And so I'm obviously not a doctor, like I said before. So the best way to do that is ask for a second, third, fourth opinion. And it's not that you don't trust your current team of doctors, but four doctors are going to come up with a better decision than one. And you'd be surprised. A lot of the times, uh, each doctor has their own kind of idea on what's best and what, what they want to do. But when you go to the second, third, and fourth doctor, you can almost bring these medical professionals together and they'll actually kind of like agree with each other and kind of figure out the best course of action for the patient on their own to where now they're asking you, you know, what we should do. But then it turns out to be, hey, we've talked to each other and, and we now feel this is the best course of action for the patient. Yeah, especially when, um, had you not done all of the research that you did with all of the clinical trials that are out there, there was not a clinical trial or there just hasn't been a study done on young women in my position, um, you know, that, that came back with those type of results after a mastectomy and there was not that information given. They were going off of the standard of care, which it takes about 20 years to change the standard of care. It takes however many clinical trials to change the research and they were going off of old research. Obviously, clinicals or trial, clinical trials are done to further the research, but the clinical trials weren't matching my case. And had you not come home and rallied all of our family members together to research and research and research, and then we all need to come together and make a decision by a certain day, had you not done that, I would be living with the what-ifs. Yeah. And now with that being said, there's a reason why most doctors, when something happens to a family member, they aren't the one making the medical decision because they're so emotionally driven to their spouse or their children that they can't make the right decision. So I'm, I'm not saying that you as the caregiver, it, it's, it's going to be a similar situation, but you could still help by doing the additional research or making sure you get a second, third, fourth opinion. But don't think that you know what's best for the patient either. Don't cross that, that line. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll move to the, the things I didn't do well. Uh, so first, I would say seek out professional help. There's plenty of resources and help out there where there's professionals that have experience dealing with caregivers and knowing what they go through that I should have reached out. I think that would have made me a better caregiver. So I definitely recommend to everyone to do that. And then the next thing is support groups. So it almost seemed like overnight I went from going to work, being able to talk to the guys and, and 
you know, joke about stuff and talk about stuff. And I felt like overnight I was just alone. Like the guys would be talking about stuff and I just felt like I couldn't even relate anymore. And so it, it got really lonely. And then at the same time, like, you know, everyone kind of knows that your, your wife is going through breast cancer treatment and everything, and they kind of tiptoe around you, and, and it's almost like they don't treat you the same way that they treated you before. So it becomes very lonely. And, you know, if I would have gone to a support group, you know, who knows? If it's not become best friends with everyone, but there could have been one or two people that we had common interests and were going through the same things. It could have definitely helped out and, and kind of helped you know, vent or talk to somebody. And that could definitely put me in a better place. Yeah. So even if you're the type of person that's like, oh, I don't go to support groups and I don't believe in that, like, just try it. You have nothing to lose. Like the worst, worst thing is you go and you don't like it and okay, whatever. Um, and then the last thing I would say is be open-minded to educating yourself on anything self-help that can improve or help you get through the tough time you're about to go through or that you are going through. Yeah. So I kind of opened up my mind a lot more than what I ever would have done before. And I, I listened to some books and I read some books and I didn't instantly believe or, or use everything that I read, but I found a lot of tips and tricks and things to help get me through you know, a tough time. And, and now that we're coming out the other end, I'm realizing like I'm a better person now than I was before. And a lot of it maybe is because I'm more grateful now or because I've been through the experience, but it's also some of the education and some of the self-help resources that I, I looked into and I realized a lot of these things work for me. And so it's going to be different for everybody and there's going to be things that work for me that wouldn't work for you and things that work for you that wouldn't work for me. So that's why I'm just saying be open-minded, see what's out there. It doesn't hurt and just uh, it can only benefit you. My first priority and the first thing that I thought about even when I found my lump and going through every stage of treatment was how is this affecting the kids and how do we make it so that it doesn't affect the kids? Um I know we, we tried to keep things so normal in the house, almost to a fault sometimes where we just, you know, adding more things to the schedule. We were trying to keep the kids so occupied, whether it was soccer practice or dance or going to the beach or video games, having friends over, whatever we could do to, you know, occupy their minds. And so they were not realizing what the situation actually was. I feel like our kids are so young going through this that... That was to our benefit most times because they they could not wrap their head around cancer. Um, I also kind of feel like now, though, on the flip side of that, that they have such a skewed idea of what cancer is because we kept things so normal and so lighthearted and we really did try and shield them from as much of the bad and the scary as we could. Is that kind of how... I know that because you took care of them day in and day out and you you were kind of you were their support system as far as when they had questions and everything so how did you kind of go about that with the kids Well kids are going to feed they're going to act you know the way that their environment is so if like mom and dad are freaking out or worried or stressed 
you know, or um, emotional, like kid, kids see that and then they get scared and they get worried. So I think a lot of the times the kids just kept going about life and joking and playing and it, be, because we created that environment. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they still were smart enough to see that, you know, when mom wasn't able to do things that she normally was able to do, you know, you're, you're forced to where you do have to educate or at least tell your kids a little bit about what's going on. And, and I, and I think that helps because then, then they realize like, okay, mom isn't just ignoring me. She's sick. And, and the medicine she's taking is making her, um, really tired and to, but she needs to take this medicine so that she can get better and we can go back to playing and the way stuff would be. So you you know, that's about, you know, how we explained it to them. So they kind of understood what was going on. But the everyday positivity and upbeat and we're still cracking jokes and and you dressing up as Lex Luthor for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> like that that kind of stuff kept it to where the kids really made it through all this and with minimal, you know, effect, like yeah. negative effect. I yeah. think they did a really, I think they made it through it as best as you could possibly want them to make it through it. Yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I feel like, um, I feel like they still don't know how to explain cancer sometimes, nor should they, because they don't know about it. But I know going through so many situations like with ACE, you know, he was so protective of me, especially when I was bald because he just didn't know how to explain the situation. And our kids had never dealt with cancer. I don't even know if they really heard about cancer before we went through it but now every single time we watch tv and there is a cancer commercial like they stop automatically and say oh hey mom's like that's what you have you have cancer or going through the checkout line at the grocery store and avalon will just matter-of-factly tell the lady checking us out oh yeah my mom has cancer like they now just have they bring it up and it does start the conversation and that's one thing that I am grateful for is that they helped to start the conversation about cancer. They also helped to change people's minds about a mom with cancer because nobody would ever stop and ask me, especially now that my hair grows back. Everybody thinks that you're cured or that you're not sick. And then they'll say something like that and it will spark the conversation once again. And it changes people's minds. It changes the face of cancer. And that's one thing I will say that I'm grateful for, even if they never remember these times. And even if years down the road, we have to look at pictures and they have to ask me, why were you bald at this point or what had happened? It's just about talking, having the conversation and just educating, which that's basically what I'm all about. So with that being said, I, I hope this was informational. I hope that this sheds a little bit more light onto our situation and what Chris has gone through as a caregiver. Obviously, this is just such a small portion of what has gone on in the last year. Um, but, you know, if you find yourself in a caregiving position, hopefully some of this will make you feel not so alone in it and that the emotions and the feelings that you're going through are completely normal. So thank you, Chris, for <laughs> coming out of your shell and talking about some of these things. Um, I know it's not easy to relive and retell a lot of these situations but I really feel like you 
have definitely given some great advice and pointed out some things that maybe people haven't thought about. So thank you for joining me. And thank you for having me on. And with that, I love you and good night. (laughs) 